will be in the book of Genesis. I, for one, am thankful Christmas is over. Some of you will remain in the Christmas spirit for weeks to come. God bless you. I officially disassociate myself with the dawning of the 26th day of December of everything Christmas. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis. We're not going to do another Christmas sermon. I tried to give you one last week. I'm not sure it really worked out that well, but praise the Lord. Um, you know my heart was in it, and I tried my best. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin by reading verses 26 through 31. As we continue our series through Genesis, and the Bible says, beginning in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we considered the phrase in verse 26 last time where God said on day 6 of creation, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And I first discussed how our triune God um, is represented here. It's spoken in a plurality. God is obviously not creating uh, alone. It, It says us and our And it's not the easiest thing to always comprehend that our God can be one and yet manifest Himself in three persons, but this is what the Bible teaches. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but it is something we say to describe the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 7, remember, says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. We then considered what it means to be made in God's image and in God's likeness. Just as the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness, according to Ephesians 4.24, I believe that mankind was originally created perfect. I believe the Bible to teach that. And God said it was very good. And we were created in righteousness and true holiness, but... Sin entered the world. We'll see that when we get to chapter 3. But because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we needed somebody to come in the likeness of God to die for us. And this was fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came in the flesh in the image of the invisible God. He came as the brightness of God's glory. He came as the express image of God. 
And then Jesus died for us to make a way of salvation that we might be restored to that image that we were once created in before the fall. This is why when we come to Christ for salvation, we learn that we are becoming a new creature. We have become a new creature. We are being conformed into what? The image of God. And we are renewed in the knowledge of Him after the image of Him that created us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And aren't you glad one day God's going to call us home and we're going to be just like Him, the Bible says. We'll drop this robe of flesh. This flesh will continue to battle until God calls us home. But one day we'll get a new body. And we'll be like Christ. We'll be fully in His image. Just as we were originally created. What a blessing. That was all last time. As we continue this morning, as we look in this set of verses... We see next in verse 26 that God gave mankind dominion over His creation. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything that creepeth upon the earth. It's okay to squish spiders. We have dominion. I suppose we're going to consider this more in depth when we get to chapter 2 and God had Adam name everything. But for now, I'm going to try to stay within the boundary of chapter 1 this morning. That's going to be tough to do because a lot of chapter 1 and chapter 2 go together. But to take dominion, it means to rule over. It's the language we find in this verse and also in verse 28. We are told that man was given dominion over all of the earth. We have not been created for the earth, but the earth has been created for us. This means mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. We know this is true in being made in His image and likeness, but now we see that since we have been given authority over His earth, we are the crown jewel of His creation. I've cited this psalm a couple of times already in this series, but I want you to listen to this again in light of having dominion. Psalm 8, verses 4 through 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Now, you may be wondering, how can you say that we're the crown jewel of God's creation when the Bible says we're created a little lower than the angels? Well, that's a good question, and one that I pondered in studying this. There's probably a lot of ways to dissect that thought. The righteous angels have a higher rank in that they are currently in the presence of God. They are the heavenly host, which is higher than the earth. We are the earthly host, which is lower. But without getting sidetracked into a discussion about angels... I think we can bottom line this by simply recognizing that angels will not die. We presently have this body of flesh. We will go through the pains of death unless we're the generation that's raptured out of here. 
And so how are we created a little lower? I believe it's just simply this. We have to die. It's appointed unto man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. And I believe this is what Jesus was talking about in Luke 20, 36, when He said, of those who would be with Him in the world to come, after our bodies die, He said, neither can they die anymore, listen now, for they are equal with the angels. And I think that's the the difference. We're created a little bit lower. We have this body that has to die. But once we die and we enter into His presence, Jesus said we'll be equal unto the angels. So that's just a sidetrack there. Um, Now, in context, I will say Jesus was talking about we won't have to be married in heaven. Well, that's a big oops because the Mormons teach that you will. Is the Bible true or not? Jesus said you'll neither marry or be given in marriage. Certainly, we can still be justified in saying we are the greatest of God's creation because God died to redeem us. God did not die for any of the angels. Amen. And for sure, as far as the earth is concerned, because we have been given dominion, we are greater than the rest of God's creation upon this earth. We've been crowned, the Bible says, with glory and honor. We just read that in Psalm 8. We've been placed over God's creation, and which is an amazing thought because we know from other verses that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This means God has the ultimate rule, but He has bestowed to us the stewardship of this earth. He has ultimate authority, but we've been given authority in His place. Remember how Jesus told Pilate, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. What's Jesus saying? Hey, I'm king of kings. Amen. You don't have any authority apart from me. And while you may have been given some authority on this earth, I have ultimate authority. I have ultimate control and dominion. And and that's that's what we understand when we've been given dominion. It's not that... Uh, God doesn't care what we do with the earth, but He has allowed us to have that responsibility, although He is the ultimate one who has all authority. Um, you know, God, he's, he's not only King of kings. The Bible says the government shall be upon His shoulder. He said the heart of the king is in His hand. And just as He steers a river, He can turn the heart of a king whithersoever He wills. See, I don't like what's going on in our country or nationally or around the world with all these political leaders. I want you to understand God is in complete control. And just as He can steer a river, He can turn the heart of a king. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is Thine, Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. So while we've been given dominion over the earth, we don't exercise this dominion apart from God is what I'm saying. He has the ultimate rule and authority. And we can see this dominion manifested by how the animals have been put in fear of man. While we understand a great white shark can devour us, a polar bear can swipe our head off, Generally speaking, the fear of man has been placed into the animals. I was watching a, a show about polar bears once, and these polar bear was following after these dudes out in the uh, tundra. And this guy said he turned around and he shot his gun in the air to scare the polar bear. And he said the polar bear turned around, but then he stopped and he looked back one last time like, 
I could take you if I wanted to. (laughs) And then he kept walking away. God, generally speaking, he's put the fear of animals into them to be fearful of of man is what I'm saying. Um, And and I'm just trying to build a case here for for God's word. Uh, After the flood, Genesis 9-2, it says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Uh, Back when circuses were allowed to take place with animals, remember those days? Um, (laughs) I'm glad I got to see the circus before they died off. But um, you would see elephants being told what to do. Lions and tigers and bears. (laughs) Oh, we're independent Baptists. We don't watch movies. (laughs) We saw how they can be trained by men. Now, all of those animals are more powerful physically. But the fear of man has been placed into them because we have been given dominion. Now, of course, some of those animals are going to get tired of getting whipped all the time, and they're going to revolt, and they're going to bite somebody's face off. Amen? We, we saw that. But, but listen, the, the, the fear of animals, or the fear of man putting animals is so real that to date, nobody's ever captured a Sasquatch. They are so fearful of man. (laughs) Now, why say all this? I'm just trying to highlight the accuracy of the Word of God to further show we could not have evolved from animals. There is a vast difference. I mean, unless you get in between a mama bear and her cubs, for the most part, they're going to run the other way in the woods. We took Adrian camping in North Georgia, and we didn't tell her. She's deathly afraid of bears. And uh, it was the most densely populated part of Georgia for black bears. They had actually just reopened the park because of so many bears. Well, we never told her. And we went hiking through there, I think, on a five-day backpacking trip. And when we came through, we told her this. But guess what? We didn't see one single bear. caught a glimpse of the big dog and realized they didn't want to attack. (laughs) We've been created above the animals is what I'm saying. We've been given dominion. And to further emphasize this, we see three times in verse 27 that we have been created. Isn't it interesting? God says this three times in one verse. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Do you think God intends for us to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we have been created and did not evolve? And of extreme importance because of what we're seeing in our day is how we learn that God created us male and female. Now, how far do I teach this this morning? The homosexual and transgender movement is all around us today. It's being portrayed openly on television, in movies, social media platforms. It's being legislated in certain ways in our country. It's even been wrongly likened to the civil rights movement. Listen, racial equality was far different 
than this issue we're facing today. On March the 28th this year, I was filling in for Brother DeGarmo because he's hardly ever here. <laughs> and I, I taught a Sunday school lesson in his absence on this issue with this verse as my text. If you want to listen to that, it's out there. I'm not going to go into that kind of depth this morning. But I do want to cite some of the same statistics that I cited from that Sunday school lesson. Now, what can we definitive, definitively say from this verse? We can say that God created two genders, male and female. It does not say male or female. And while both fall under the creation of mankind, there must be a difference because of how the Word of God has chosen this to be said. For certain, we live in a day of political correctness run amok. As a result, we have a generation now which has been conditioned to never speak in terms of absolutes. And you've heard me say before, if somebody tells you there are no absolutes, you ask them, are you absolutely sure? (laughs) I want to show you a four-minute video that I came across. It was posted five and a half years ago. You may have seen it. It's off of YouTube. It has over five million views. And it's going to highlight this fact that I'm talking about with political correctness run amok and how... We now have a generation that's afraid to speak the truth. Now, I'm not advocating the organization here because I really don't know anything about them. But the clip is really good, and it's going to highlight what it is I'm talking about. Luke, would you go ahead, please? There's been a lot of talk about identity lately. But how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Luke, can you turn it up, please? Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? (laughs) Really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. (laughs) I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably 
not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? So what does this tell us? When asked those questions, many people today are first trying to decide what is the politically correct answer? What, what is it I'm supposed to say? It, it is no longer what I believe is truth, but what am I supposed to believe is truth? How can I answer and not be labeled as offensive? Now, I'm not suggesting that we ought to have a harsh attitude towards any, but we should definitely be speaking the truth. The truth is God made them male and female. God made two genders and He made them different. Currently making national headlines is biological males competing against women. They're setting national records in the collegiate level. When they competed as males, they were average, mediocre. But now that they're competing with women, they're setting records. Why? Because there's a difference between men and women. Just compare Olympic records between men and women and you'll, you'll see these differences. This is what I gave in my Sunday school lesson. Even among the most elite athletes in the world, there is a consistent 10 to 15% gap in performance between genders. For example, the javelin throw. The current Olympic record for men is 90.57 meters while the women's record is 71.53. The men's Olympic record is 21% further than the women's record, and the women's javelin is 15% shorter and 27.7% lighter. The website boysversuswomen.com cites the difference in the 2016 high school boys NBNO finalists versus 2016 Olympic women's finalists. Did you hear what I said? We're comparing high school boys 
against Olympic women. In 29 track and field events, excluding events with weighted objects. So we're not going to talk about shot put and stuff like that. They listed the top eight finishers for boys high school and the top eight female finishers in the 2016 Olympics to make a total of 16 possible places you can finish. Out of the 29 events they cited, the female Olympians only defeated the high school boys in one event. And that was the 5,000 meter race. Because women can just wear you down. (laughs) That's not in my notes. Out of the 29 events, there were 16 events where the high school boys finished in all eight of the top spots. High school boys. And the remaining 13 events, in seven of them, only one woman placed in the top eight. There is no denying the differences physically. If you're following any of this, now we're back to today's notes. If you're following any of this, then you may be aware of the transgender swimmer who was born Will Thomas, a biological male, but now identifies as a woman and goes by the name Leah Thomas. He attends the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school. He swam three years as a man competing against men, but this year he swims for the women's team and obviously is now competing against women. Earlier this month, he competed in the Akron Zippy Invitational and won the 1650 meter by 38 seconds. That's a long time in in swimming. He broke two national records at that invitational. According to AmericansUnitedForValues.com, Will Leah Thomas holds a massive advantage genetically as his height and wingspan is greater than any other woman currently competing in all of Division I women's swimming. End quote. Thankfully, some biological women competitors are beginning to speak out, albeit they are doing so anonymously out of fear. One competitor was a senior from Niagara University, and she said this, Swimming against Leah Thomas was intimidating. It was hard going into a race knowing there was no way I was going to get first. I knew I could drop my time, but I also knew there was no way I would physically be able to beat her in the race or even catch up to her. It's hard working your whole life at a sport and going to big competitions and seeing someone who is more physically talented than you However, it's even more discouraging to have them right next to you and knowing you won't ever be on the same physical level as them, end quote. Even some teammates are speaking out, but again, they are doing so anonymously. One said, I don't want to speak out and and be known because I'm afraid it's going to hurt my chances in getting a job after I graduate. How sad. She says this, quote, The Ivy League is not a fast league for swimming, so that's why it's particularly ridiculous that we could potentially have an NCAA champion. That's unheard of coming from the Ivy League. On paper, if Leah Thomas gets back down to Will Thomas's best times, those numbers are female world records. Faster than all the times Katie Ledecky went went into college with, and she went on to be an Olympian swimmer. Faster than any other Olympian you can think of. His times in three events are female world records. Listen to how sad this statement is. When I have kids, I kind of hope they're all boys 
Because if I have any girls that want to play sports in college, good luck. Their opponents are all going to be biological men saying that they're women. Right now we have one, but if we had three, of, three on the team, there'd be three less girls participating, end quote. Now, I could keep quoting their frustrations, and they should be frustrated. Because as another female swimmer said, no matter how much work we put into it, we're going to lose. These are sad days we live in. I, I believe biological women should be asking, whatever happened to women's rights? Why is there such a difference? It's because God created them male and female. But as we saw in the video, people will not speak truth out of political correctness. And these other female swimmers won't speak publicly out of fear. How sad that the truth has taken a back seat to what has been scientifically proven as fact. Now, how did we get to this point? We can go back much further than this, but I just want to go back 25, 30 years ago when the homosexual movement was ramping up. And you had, you had preachers back then trying to warn this nation that if you legislate that, there's going to be other problems that are a result of that. And the whole world's like, no, there won't be. Yes, there is, and we're seeing it today. Pastor Williams used to say, if you let the nose of the camel into the tent, before you know it, you turn around, the whole camel's now in the tent with you. Where is this going to end? I'm afraid it's going to end in what I call the gutter of Leviticus, where God warned against some things that are so sick that at one time in this country, we we would have thought there's no way possible. And yet we got these lunatic women marrying a tree down in Florida to keep it from getting cut down. Now, we'll have to dig into more of this passage contextually next time. But I, I want to finish today by, by telling you, as God's people, we need to stand for what God said is truth. Amen. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the rock, His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Please know my heart this morning. I don't believe we have to be ugly and nasty towards anybody. I believe there are many who are genuinely confused. This is what they've been taught from kindergarten on. And I believe there are some people that are genuinely seeking for answers. And we ought to have a heart to reach them with the gospel but it still does not change truth or the reaction to that truth. And understand, none of this is new. Well, we're in the last days, preachers. No, listen, this was happening in Genesis. It was happening in the first century. And it's happening in our day today. It's going to continue until the Lord returns. In the first century, Paul wrote in Romans 1, 24-28, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see, we get to this point when people decide that we need to take the truth of God and turn it into a lie. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15 that we are the church of the living God. He went on to say this, which is the pillar and ground of truth. I know there are so-called churches who have departed from the truth. They are churches by name only. They are not churches of the living God. And it is confusing a nation. Just two weeks ago, St. Luke's Lutheran Church of Logan Square in Chicago hosted what I think was called Drag Queen Prayer Hour for Children. And a man got in the pulpit, preached a message dressed in drag. And then he called the men, his name was Aaron Muser, he called the the children up and he asked if they would like to see this book he was going to read them entitled Joy. He began by saying to the children, I have a question first though. Have you ever seen a drag queen? And every one of those little precious children said no. He said, this is everybody's first time they've ever seen a drag queen? Well, hello. I am also a boy most of the time. But today, I'm beautiful today. What a sad day when the so-called church house is indoctrinating children in the ways of sin. You say, how serious is it? Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 18, 6, But whosoever shall offend, which means to trip up, to cause someone to stumble, or entice someone to sin. Jesus said, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. You think Jesus takes this serious? Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now I know this hasn't been a typical sermon this morning, but these things need to be said. And here's the deal. I know we're in South Dakota, and by the grace of God, we've been protected by a lot from a lot of what's going on out there, but I can promise you this, as time goes by, churches like ours are going to feel the heat. But listen to me, we are the church of the living God. We are the pillar of truth. I've said before, we're a dying breed. I know that. I think God can still bring revival. May we stand for truth in these last days. May we do so with a Christ-like attitude. There are times to call out religious leaders and turn over the tables, just as Jesus did. But for the average folks, we have to show them love and compassion. We have to remember Colossians 4, 6. 
Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love. You're never going to go wrong standing for truth. And standing for truth honors God. Never be ashamed of the Word of God. We have the truth. So let's not be fearful to share it. Let's pray.